Welcome, Desert Breeze. We're so glad you're joining us. Let's sing together of the new life that we have in Christ. I once was dead to sin, alone and hopeless. A child of wrath, I walked condemned in darkness. But your mercy brought me life, and in your loving kindness, raised me up with Christ and
Slain and thirsty. 
of creation to the glory of his name who is thoughts can dare to fathom who is judgments can contain none is equal unassailable be our god whoever
Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our current teaching series is Unshakable Identity. Now keep in mind, this unshakable identity that we have in Christ is not something that we achieve, but something we receive. It is blood-bought, and it comes through by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we've been looking at the various characteristics of this unshakable identity, and we started off this series talking about how we are a new creation with a brand new life. We've been born again. And then we talked about we are free, redeemed by the Son. Last weekend we talked about we are adopted, beloved by the Father. And this weekend we're talking about we are alive, empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians. Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 21. Now, let me start off by asking you some questions, just kind of to get you thinking here a little bit about this idea of being alive, empowered by the Holy Spirit. If I told you I had an encounter with God and he entered my life to empower me with his presence, what radically different kind of life would you expect to see? When those outside the church see no difference in our lives, why do you think they begin to question our integrity or our insanity or even worse, our God? When was the last time you saw the Holy Spirit undeniably at work in you, through you, or around you? Those are the first three questions on our growing notes for this weekend. 
And so take a look at the sermon notes, part of the intro. Let me start off by just saying here, imagine having courage to face anything, joy beyond circumstances, edifying and healing relationships, a perpetual song in your heart, and a life abounding with thanksgiving and loving service to others. Sound too good to be true? Well, that's the spirit-filled life. And in fact, the spirit-filled life is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live this side of heaven. And so we're going to be looking at two questions from this text. Uh, What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then the next question, we'll spend most of our time on that first question. Then the next question is, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Hopefully you have your notes in front of you, and you can fill in the blanks or kind of work through there and take some notes. So let me begin by reading this text. So grab your Bibles. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 is what I will be reading. And so look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And so let's take a look at this uh, First of all, you'll see there on your notes, so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's based on, um, it seems a very simple verse, but it's, it's certainly not shallow. There's a depth to it that we're going to uh, plunge into here. And the verse is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's four words that will help to define the Spirit-filled life. You can see them on your notes there, communion. Command, you're going to see a command here. Contrast, he's, Paul is making a contrast here to something, and then capacity. So let's take that first one. So we could say that the Spirit-filled life, it is communion with the third person of the triune God. That's your first fill in the blank. And this third person of the triune God, he is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, not a feeling, or an energy field, or an it, as sometimes people will describe him as, none of those. The Holy Spirit is a person who possesses intellect, emotion, and will. Now listen to what uh, Jesus said in John 14, 16 through 17. This is part of his upper room discourse. He's just, he's moments away from hanging on the cross for, for us, for his disciples, and so he's giving them some last minute um, uh, instruction and help because they're, they're kind of freaking out a bit. They're really afraid because he's talking about leaving them after they had been with him for over three years. And so this is what he says, John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's, that's critical, both of those words. Another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Notice 
this and will be in you. So that idea, another helper, the word another here means of the same kind. Helper is the Greek word parakletos, one called alongside to help. So what Jesus is saying here, it's, it's really phenomenal. He's saying, just as I was with you, the Holy Spirit will be with you. And then Jesus uh, says, John 16, 7. This is still part of that upper room discourse with his disciples. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is Jesus saying here? Here's what I think he's saying. It's quite profound. He's saying that the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. That is profound. That's what Jesus is saying. It's to your advantage that I go away and I send the Holy Spirit to you. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be with Jesus? And yet, having the Spirit inside you is a better advantage is what he's saying. So here's my question for you. Do you consider your connection to the Holy Spirit so strong and real that you regard his presence in in you to be a better advantage than even Jesus himself beside you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. This is, a, this is the most mind-boggling truth we could ever imagine that the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the sovereign, almighty, and majestic God would come to take up residence in us. I mean, that's an inconceivable reality. Now, remember the Spirit is a person. So, so how are we filled with a person? It, it means this, that we come under their personal influence. And this can happen in any relationship, friendship, or, or even marriage. But uh, when I first met my wife, the more I got to know her, the more I was filled with her. And I became so aware of her, her desires and needs, her wishes and wants, and her passions and proclivities that I was motivated, I was extremely motivated to enjoy her and to be responsive to her, to interact with her, to serve her. Now, some people would call this a crush, but it is much more than that. A crush is an immature, idolatrous form of this and very self-centered very self-centered. When people say that they fell in love, you don't fall into love. You make a commitment to it, and it's based on a promise that you make. And so that's, that's what a crush is. Uh, a crush is an immature, idolatrous form of what I'm talking about here, and it's very self-centered. This is not a crush. This is much deeper, stronger, and satisfying than a crush because it is other-centered. It's not self-centered. So even if you do meet someone and you're, you're head over heels in love with them, but you don't really know them, that would be classified as a crush because, because you don't know them. But as you get to know them, certainly it should move from being self-centered to very other-centered. And that's what we're talking about here. And, um, and so the Spirit-filled life is being filled with the person of the Holy Spirit coming more and more under his influence so that you begin to love the things he loves and hate the things 
he hates. And every, and in fact, even to the point that every command from God is your desire. I love the, the little part of a John Newton hymn that says this, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Do you hear what he's saying? Is that our pleasure and our serving God are one and the same. It's amazing. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the the Spirit-filled life is communion. Keep that in mind. And here's the next C word. It's a command. You'll see a command here. A command for every Christian to continually surrender every part of their life to the Holy Spirit. Now, Notice it isn't optional. This isn't optional. He says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's not optional. That is a command. And um, it's in the imperative mood. And notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say pray or tarry for the filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. See, the Lord has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, and anything less than that is flagrant disobedience. And so, so it is not optional. It's a command. Also, it includes everyone. It's, it's, it is plural rather than the singular form, not just for super saints. This is for all saints, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And also you'll notice, so when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is, it is he's really describing a repeated event. Uh, being filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, it, it literally he's saying this in the Greek, he's saying be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's a repeated event, and it's continually giving over control of your life to the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, that phrase, is, it, it's in the very present tense. Now, the word drunk, when it says do not be drunk, which, by the way, that's really a good, not just an idea, it's a commandment from the scriptures. Don't get drunk, don't be drunk, which leads to a life of debauchery, drunkenness. The Bible is against drunkenness. But the word drunk here, the Greek means intoxicated, of course, but it also means soaked, saturated with, dominated by. To be drunk is not how much alcohol you have, but how much alcohol has you. And so the spirit-filled life is not about getting more of the Holy Spirit, but about it is really about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. Now, I came from a Pentecostal and charismatic background. I love my background. And, and they would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit the second experience, the first being conversion. And in fact, they would say, you aren't spirit-filled until you have had this second experience with the only evidence of speaking in other tongues. And... Um, and, and once you've had this experience, you are really forever 
spirit-filled. And so they would make a distinction between people that are spirit-filled and people that are not spirit-filled. They would also make that distinction even with churches. I don't hear that as often anymore. And I think they, maybe they have wised up or maybe they're understanding the scripture more clearly. And uh, I, I think you're wrong in, in looking at it like that. Um, though it is something that we can debate, we shouldn't divide over. It's an open-handed um, part of our, our beliefs. It is not part of our our uh, regular teaching or part of our regular, what, I'm, what am I saying here? I don't know. I'm trying to say this, that it's not an essential Christian belief. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not an, a, a, an essential Christian belief. It's, it fits in the category of non-essentials. Okay, I finally got around to that. And so, uh, and so that's just important. It's, it's good for us to discuss that, but it's not that, y- that you get more of the Holy Spirit. He gets more of you, and, and, and the text, but the text isn't saying that you, you have this one-time experience and then from that moment on, you know, you're, you're spirit-filled. Or you, and it says here, notice what it says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, that's what it's saying. Be being filled, repeated, continual. And I, and I also believe, let me expand the, the evidences. I think there's many more evidences of being filled with the Spirit, such as the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or how about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And tongues is one of those gifts. And so, how do you know you are coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How do you know you're becoming, you are indeed Spirit-filled? Well, I've got some verses here that I think help us to understand that. Romans chapter eight, verses five through six. Paul says here, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. You remember the difference between flesh and spirit? Flesh is a a life of self-absorption, self-centeredness. It's our sinful nature kind of leading the way. Uh, Following your heart, be true to yourself. You know, those statements that we see in the culture, that's the flesh. And... uh, it's wanting to make much of yourself. It's promoting yourself. But the spirit is about making much of God. It's, uh, so the flesh is about your glory. Uh, the spirit is about God's glory. And, and, he's, and he talks about this distinction between how you, where you set your mind. You, you're going to either be setting your mind on the things of the flesh or you're going to be setting your mind on the things of the spirit. And then he says in verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So when he's talking about mind, he's talking about our heart, as it tells us in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So, so what is it that dominates your thoughts is gonna show you what you really treasure. And, and so whatever you set your mind on not only shows you what you treasure and it's where you find your deepest pleasure but it also determines your character and the direction of your life so a spirit filled life or setting your mind on the things of the spirit is living every moment as if you are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ it's having your thoughts your words and actions controlled by the Holy Spirit, so that when you're confused, he's your counselor. When you're afraid, he's your comforter. When you're lonely, he's your companion. When you're tempted, he's your strength. And this is something that you passionately pursue as if your life counts on it because it does. You pursue it passionately, and that's why he has it in this command 
He's commanding us, be filled with the Spirit. And so you will passionately pursue this if you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ because you're gonna wanna be obedient to him. So the Spirit-filled life is communion, a command, and now we get to contrast. He's helping us to understand that through a contrast. And it's contrast to drunkenness that leads to debauchery. So the Spirit-filled life the contrast that he's making here is that the spirit-filled life is stabilizing and has a stimulating effect on our life. And so let's take that first one, it's stabilizing, and he's comparing it, he's contrasting it with drunkenness that leads to debauchery. The word debauchery in the Greek literally means a wasted, uncontrolled, immoral life. Now in Luke 15, 13, the younger brother squandered his property in reckless living. That's the same word, debauchery. And so a person who is drunk squanders their life is what he's saying. You can, by the way, be drunk not just on alcohol but on work or porn or video games or or shopping or parenting or romance or overeating or overexercising and the list goes on. And if you do that, you will waste your life. And so being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of debauchery or wasted life. It is a life of discipline, balance, and maturity. So it has this stabilizing effect on our life. So here's, a, here's another question for you. What comes to mind when most people think of being Spirit-filled? If you were to ask people in our, in our culture, what do you think comes to mind? Here's what I think that they're thinking. They think of weird and wild behavior and out-of-control emotions. That's what they're thinking. But the spirit-filled life is a life under control. Your, your body, your time, your tongue, your emotions, using the gifts of the Spirit in ministry and having your character shaped by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit-filled life. That's the spirit-filled life. So debauchery can also be translated exhausted. So God will never give you more to do than you can do with his power and strength. If you're burned out, then you are not spirit-filled. And so that'll bring uh, some boundaries and margin in your life by being spirit-filled. The Lord will lead you in that. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind or self-control. So there's that stabilizing fact, uh, effect on, uh, compared to that of uh, drunkenness and debauchery. But there's also a stimulating effect, um, and, and I think we can also contrast uh, drunkenness and debauchery with the stimulating effect, stimulating effect of the Holy Spirit. People get drunk so they can face reality. And drunkenness dulls your perception of reality, whereas, here's the contrast, whereas the Spirit-filled life intensifies your perception of reality. You begin to see more clearly that God is for you, not against you, that you can face anything. That would, that would certainly be that Spirit-filled Spirit-filled life. And so, what is the reality that the Holy Spirit is working on us with? Well, it's part of our text. It's the first uh, 15, 16, and 17, the first three verses of our text. Remember what, what we said there? He said, be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. So what is the Lord's will? Well, the, the Lord's will is the Lord's word. It's the Bible. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And um, 
And so the will of God is the word of God. Now listen to this this parallel, these are parallel verses with the Spirit-filled life. These are almost identical verses to what we read in our text, and they're found in Colossians 3, 16 through 17. There's only one difference. You'll probably be able to spot it as I start reading. He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you notice the difference? Instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, he's saying what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So to be filled with God's word is the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me prove that to you from, once again, part of that upper room discourse, Jesus and his disciples before he was going to be hanging on the cross. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, what is he talking about there? God's word. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Once again, that's the word of God. And so the Spirit and the Word work inseparably. So the Bible tells us in John 4.24 that God is Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Christians tend to gravitate toward one of two extremes. It's either all truth and no spirit or all spirit and no truth, but truth minus spirit leads to a dead, lifeless Christianity. You're going through the motions without any emotion. It's all head and no heart. But spirit minus truth is idolatry and instability and superstition. And it's all, it's all heart and no head. Now, let me just say, I, I think I can, uh, I have the right to say this because of my background and um, because of, I've got many family and friends that are charismatics and Pentecostals, and I love them dearly. But I see charismatics and Pentecostals seek an experience with the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God all the time. That's crazy. That is extremely unhealthy. And uh, so why is it idolatry? Well, God is a figment of your own imagination. You're, you're coming up with who God is rather than allowing the scriptures to define the God that you are to believe in. He has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. So that's the God we worship. But it also creates some instability because your faith is based on experiences rather than the fact of God's word. What I mean by experiences, I mean it's more based on feelings, voices in your head and signs in your circumstances rather than the fact of God's word. And so this will set you up for a lot of disappointment and disillusionment because God won't come through like you think he should because you have a wrong idea of God and what he's doing. So it's, we, we always got to get back to the word. So, so if, if you want to be filled with the spirit of God, then devote yourself to the word of God. See, without immersion in God's words, our relationship with God will be limited, shallow, and untethered from reality. 
Now, let me give you a quick story before I move on to the last uh, number four of defining this idea of the spirit-filled life. And I think this gives you a great illustration. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Listen to what it says. When the servant of the man of God, the man of God is Elisha, so this, his servant rose early in the morning and went out and behold an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master. I mean, so he's freaking out here. He's really stressed out. He's, he's very anxious. He's very worried. And he says, my master, what shall we do? And so Elisha said, let's go to the sports bar on the corner and watch the girls dance and get drunk. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. No, he said this. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. How did Elisha know that? Because of God's word. Because of God's word. And uh, certainly it wasn't based on their experiences because they were surrounded But he knew something that the servant didn't know. And so then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And what did he see? He saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I think it's a beautiful description of really the spirit-filled life, beginning to see what is unseen, and, and that God is for you and not against you. So the spirit-filled life is, is communion, a command, a contrast, and then this word, the last C word is capacity. So we can increase our capacity to be spirit-filled, and um, we do that by by spiritual disciplines. So capacity increased through spiritual disciplines. So verse 18, once again, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what's interesting about this is that the object, us, has something acting upon it from the outside, the Spirit. It is in the passive voice. But there is action that we must take. In other words, we are to put ourselves in the position where the Spirit of God can, can control us. How do we do that? Spiritual disciplines. Bible study, prayer, and community are just three of, of many of the spiritual disciplines, very important disciplines. But Bible study, prayer, and community isn't something you do casually when you get around to it. This is a pouring over God's word, memorizing and meditating on it and crying out to God in prayer until the Holy Spirit lights his word on fire in your heart. See, that's what you can do to increase your capacity to be a more spirit-filled person. So what do you actually do in the process of using spiritual disciplines? Well, two things. So as I'm studying God's word as I'm praying, there's two things that are going on in my heart. I'm, I'm looking at my life to see if there's been any way that I have grieved the Holy Spirit. And I also look at my wife to see if, uh, my life to see if there's any way that I'm, uh, I have, uh, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. And so um, it tells us in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So what is he saying? If you find yourself grieving the Holy Spirit of God through disobedience, our disobedience grieves the Holy Spirit. Disobedience is a trampling on God's love and wisdom. It's almost like it's saying, hey, you know what? I think I'll be happier if I disobey God than to obey God. That's the mindset. It goes all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. And it's, it's delusional. 
But what do you need to do when you find yourself doing that? You repent and turn from sin. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit, repent, turn from sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. So anytime we love anything more than we love God, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. So what are we to do? Well, we are to turn, you know, repent, turn from sin, but in this, we are to believe and turn to the Savior. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit, repent, turn from sin, don't quench the Holy Spirit, believe and turn to the Savior. When you are more passionate about what's on TV or the internet or making money or your next vacation, you are quenching the Holy Spirit and you're putting out the fire that he's trying to stoke within you as he's working in your life. And it is a dagger to the heart of God that we would give our hearts deepest loyalties and affections to anything or anyone more than God. Now let me give you a quick illustration before we move on uh, to the, the second part. And it'll go pretty quickly. Uh, every child, every child in one way, and, and I think mo- most parents can relate to this, most adults can relate to this, every child in one way or another will disobey the commands of their parents. And uh, it's called original sin. And original sin is that we are sinners by nature and by choice. People who don't believe in original sin obviously have never had children. <laughs> and uh, because they demonstrate this really quite well. And so they don't just disobey you, but they resent it and accuse you of trying to mess up their life. I mean, that's, that's very common as you're trying to raise your children. And that grieves parents. And, and not, not only that, when you try to convince them that you love them and want the best for them, They will quench your love by their casual, cavalier, even disrespectful attitude towards you, almost kind of like stiff arm you. I mean, uh, and so if you think it's rough and tough with the kids below age 10, it's even worse as they get into the teenage years. I mean, this has manifested that much more. And, And so don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn from sin, don't quench the Holy Spirit, believe, turn to the Savior. The Spirit-filled life is, is communion, a command, a contrast, and a capacity that we can increase through spiritual disciplines. And, and so that's the root of the Spirit-filled life. Now we get to the fruit. What does that look like in my life as I'm living that out? And that is based on verses 19 through 21. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? First of all, number one, your next fill in the blank, an interaction with others that is edifying and healing. An interaction with others that is edifying and healing. That's based on verse 19a. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So let me ask you another question here. Why are we family? Why are we family here at, at Desert Breeze? And we're family with others that are not part of Desert Breeze, that, that are Christians, that have committed their life to Jesus Christ. We are family because we have been adopted by the same daddy. And our daddy wants our interaction with our brothers and sisters edifying and healing. Why? Because as it tells us in Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. He wants us to bring healing. He wants our words to be edifying and healing. So when you interact with people, is that what is happening? 
that you are edifying and healing to them. That's, you're, you're showing that you are spirit-filled. Here's the next one, number two. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? A song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. That's based on verse 19b. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so it is to live in the presence of God with such delight that there is a song in your heart. And uh, by the way, this isn't going to happen if you are using God rather than wanting to be with God. So how do you know whether or not you're using God? Well, how do you respond to unanswered prayer? That's how you know. And what you will find out that if someone that's not using God but wants to be with God, even if their prayers go unanswered or don't go answered a way that they would hope for, they still have God. And they treasure him more than anything. They treasure the gift giver over the gifts because they're, uh, they're so much better. And so Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. That's how I want to live, and that's evidence of a spirit-filled life. Number three, a life of thanksgiving to God always and in everything. I, I think he's describing contentment here. This is based on verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how do we do that? That sounds really hard, because sometimes we have some really, really negative circumstances in our lives. And what he's saying is giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, the only way that you can do that is you you have to trust God's perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power, his sovereignty working in your life for your good and his glory. If you don't believe that, you're not gonna be able to give thanks always for everything uh, to God and uh, to God the Father and, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say a couple things that will certainly block that is worry and bitterness. You're not gonna be a very thankful person if you have a lot of worry and bitterness in your life. Worry and bitterness will keep you from a heart of thanksgiving. Now keep in mind, worry is believing God will get it wrong. Bitterness is believing God did get it wrong tells us in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, when we, as we face hard circumstances, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request, request known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he finishes that, finishes that off as you continue on. He says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So, so you need to take your request to God and you do that with thanksgiving because you know that he's in control and he's gonna always work for your good and his glory and, and, and when you rest in that more and more you'll have a peace that guards your heart and mind and then you need to guard your heart and your thoughts. So whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, you gotta think about those things. And when you do that, you'll have a heart of thanksgiving as you enjoy his presence. Here's number four, here's the last one. A pouring of your life out in service to others. 
As we talk about the spirit-filled life, what does that look like? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then if you read the text on, he, he explains what that looks like in marriage, in parenting, in employer relationships, as we live this spirit-filled life out in, in all of those different areas. Now, what should motivate my involvement in ministry? What should motivate any of, of this that I'm talking about? Here's what should motivate us. Jesus emptied himself on the cross so that I could be full, spirit-filled, therefore out of that fullness that I have in him, I can empty myself so that others may be full in Christ. That's the motivation. Spirit-filled people are less self-absorbed consumers and more self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. That's why it tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. He's saying that when you get together with other Christians, you need to be thinking about, consider what you can do to stir up love and good deeds in them. Now, let me finish here with a story. It's actually part of a, uh, a journal entry and, and part of a book by John Flavel, Treatise on the Soul of Man. And he's talking a little bit about his own life. This, he was a 1680 Puritan Now listen to these words. I think they really help us to understand this spirit-filled life and truly having an encounter with God. This is what he says. I set out that day to examine the state of my soul and think of the life to come. It was was a day of prayer and self-examination, which you should do regularly. And after a while, I found my thoughts fixed and so much closer to these great and astonishing truths than I have ever usually experienced I found my heart rising to these truths with a liveliness and a vigor. My thoughts began to swell and rise until they were an overwhelming flood. Such were the ravishing taste of heavenly joys and my assurance of partaking of them that I utterly lost sight of the world for several hours and I I didn't know any more where I was than if I had been asleep on my bed. I, I went to an inn where I continued to commune with God no matter who I was talking to. I couldn't stop communing with God. So he just, he continued to to experience God's presence wherever he went. I couldn't help meditating on his glory. I couldn't help praying. I, I couldn't help sensing his love overflowing me all night. I wasn't able to get to sleep. The next day, I got back on my horse, and within a few hours, I was aware of the ebbing of the tide, and by nightfall, there was a sweet serenity upon my spirit, yet the transports of joy were there ever after. I think that's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And so, we are alive, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The spirit-filled life is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live this side of heaven. Next weekend, we'll be talking about how we are worshipers shining brightly in the darkness. And don't forget, Facebook Live, working through the growing notes, Sunday at 6 p.m. So would you join with me as we conclude with some prayer? Would you bow your heads? 
So Father God, it is absolutely breathtaking that you take up residence in those of us who have been pardoned by your son, by grace through faith in him. May we come more and more under the influence of your indwelling Holy Spirit and obey you passionately pursuing this this spirit-filled life as, as if our life depends on it, which it does. And so may the Holy Spirit bring discipline and maturity, making the truth of your word more real to our hearts. We, we confess our grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Help us to regularly repent and believe in Christ Jesus. And may the Spirit-filled life give us courage to face anything, joy beyond circumstances, edifying and healing relationships, a perpetual song in our heart, and a life abounding with thanksgiving and loving service to others. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys very much. Miss you. Hope to see you soon. God bless you. Hey, church family, it's me, Phil Livingston. Um, I'm just here to give you a quick update on the situation. Uh, as you know, or probably know, uh, Governor Doug Ducey extended the stay-at-home recommendations for another 15 days. So we as a church are going to honor uh, that request by the governor, and we're going to delay um, meeting again as a church um, at least for another two weeks, we're going to be continually monitoring, monitoring this because we, just as you, are really anxious to get back together. We miss all of you. We miss doing ministry together with you, and we cannot wait to get together again. On the bright side, um, this, this extension is giving us a little more time to put the finishing touches on the sanctuary so that when we get together, we can have a great big celebration of God's amazing hand, um, his work in our lives, not only in the building, but also in, in just the things he's been doing with us. So in, in the meantime, continue meeting via Zoom for small groups, continue texting each other, uh, continue just reaching out as you can, and we will, I, I promise you, we will be together soon.